Jack Griffin, City Manager here at the City of San Marcos. Welcome to the latest installment of the San Marcos City Podcast. Uh, this podcast will serve as our June business update, so I'm going to take a little bit of time here and go over uh, what the council uh, acted on in the two meetings that they had in June. We're back to, uh, at least for the time being, we're back to normal with two meetings in person, so it uh, feels, uh, feels good to be acting in a normal way. Um, June's always a busy month uh, for local governments in California because it's budget uh, adoption month. Uh, our fiscal year runs from July 1st through June 30th, so most cities uh, bring their budgets forward to their councils for approval in June, as we did this year. Uh, so the first meeting of the month was on June 6th. Uh, there were another a number of items on the agenda, mostly pretty um, routine. Uh, I'll go through a few of them. Um, before I get to the budget, which I've talked about in the past, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but that was the big item for the night. Um, we did um, have an item where we have to set a date for a uh, mobile home rent review uh, hearing. So we did the Lakeview uh, Mobile Estates uh, Mobile Home Park, which is on Discovery Street, sort of right in the uh, construction area right now with respect to the Creek Project. Um, there's a process the, the city had a, a voter initiative done many years ago um, that gave uh, mobile home park residents an ability to appeal any uh, rent increases that their owners um, would try to uh, impose on them to the city council. And then the city council um, would act as the, what we call the mobile home rent review commission and review those rent review rent requests and determine whether or not <clears throat> the request was uh, fair and valid or the appeal was proper or if there was maybe some place in between uh, for the parties to agree. And that's how we uh, tend to try to help get those resolved between the residents and the owners. Um, it's, this is just related to mobile home parks where the um, owners are renting, um, not necessarily the, the dwelling, but the space that the dwelling is on. Um, so that's why it's a, the, the rent aspect of it. Um, so we did that item that was actually set for, uh, I think it was July 27th. And then interestingly enough, uh, that's actually going to get postponed at the request of both parties, uh, until sometime in October. Um, we did a couple of items that uh, are sort of boilerplate every year to make sure that we get reimbursed uh, properly for when we send our fire uh, department staff and equipment out on um, various fires around the state or theoretically out of the state, but mostly around the state um, so that our costs um, um, are reimbursed. Uh, obviously, if we send crews out to work on events that puts a strain on the local resources, uh, it can drive up costs for um, for those who are sending you know people and equipment out uh, in overtime and all that sort of stuff. So the state has a process to reimburse cities for that. So we have to adopt an item each year to do that. We have to adopt an item with uh, to get reimbursed for any uh, federal highway funds uh, for projects um, that are. Um, eligible for that, and we have a big one in the creek. Eighty-eight uh, percent of the Bent Avenue and Via Veracruz are federally uh, reimbursable, so it's important for us to have our uh, eyes dotted and T's crossed on that. Uh, we adopted a resolution to 
um, amend our list of uh, local street projects, which we're required to do each year to match what's called the RTIP, um, uh, Regional Transportation Improvement Program, um, through SANDAG uh, to match up with our capital improvement budget. So we did that. Um, and then the big item was uh, on June 6 was the adoption of the budget. Uh, so the council adopted about an $80 million budget that contains uh, this year about a $2.5 million deficit. I think I've spoken about this in a uh, previous podcast, um, that that deficit, while it exists um, on paper, will be um, likely to be eliminated uh, at the first July meeting when the council acts on um, utilizing the funds that we've got from the federal government as part of the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, so... Um, so we, we pretty much are bringing back everything, um, the budget and essentially the deficit um, that remains is bringing back all of the, um, well, I shouldn't say bringing back all the employees, uh, restoring uh, the employees work uh, week to a normal work week. Uh, we had reduced the hours down to a 32 hour work week um, through the pandemic um, to save costs. Um, so restoring those hours back up to 40. So that obviously adds cost. Um, and we also had a pretty uh, hard hiring freeze in place uh, through the uh, duration of the pandemic. And uh, we really need to start bringing some of those positions back. Um, so um, that's really where that deficit is, bringing those personnel costs back, essentially make up for that or generate what that $2.5 million uh, deficit is. So uh, our budget for fiscal year 21-22, which starts July 1st, is actually still $5 million or so below what our adopted budget was in fiscal year uh, 2019-20. So we're still well under where we were pre-pandemic levels, um, and that really is a function of our reduced revenues on the rent side. Um, which are, you know, are starting to rebound and we're starting to see some activity, but, um, you know, our major property, um, that generates rent for us besides city hall is uh, Creekside marketplace and staples and Phil's the former Phil's barbecue and the former Applebee's site. Um, and some of the other, a couple of the other smaller tenant spaces, um, we're still working on getting those, uh, refilled. So, um, that's really what's causing us to, to have issues with respect to our rent revenue. Um, and we see that sort of starting to bounce back, but I think that's just, as I've said before, that's just going to take some time. Um, but uh, otherwise, I, I think the budget gets back to uh, close to where um, we were in terms of services. We tried to bring back all the parks and recreation services. Uh, we did a podcast about a month ago uh, where Andrea Gonzalez from our parks department came on and talked about um, all of the programs we're doing this summer. So we're really trying to um, get back into the swing of things in terms of, of that. Um, and also some of the things that we deferred, some IT improvements that we had in house and some um, processing of uh, just in terms of how we, we do business, some improvements there um, that we kind of had to put on hold while we went to a more virtual um, business model. So anyway, um, the budget's adopted. I think that it's um, it's a good, solid budget. Um, we're hopeful that um, as the rent uh, continues to recover, that we get out of this, um, I don't want to say this trend, because it's not really fair to say it's a trend, because we weren't in a deficit situation at all prior to uh, the pandemic. But obviously, um, that changed the game a little bit for us. So, But hopefully, uh, by the time we get to twenty fiscal year 22-23, um, that uh, we'll be back 
to a normal balanced budget and, and just moving forward as, as we always have. Uh, the council also made some appointments to, we had some vacancies on the uh, budget review committee and the youth commission. And so uh, council made appointments to that. Uh, on the latter, we didn't have enough applicants um, uh, to fill the vacancies. So uh, I know our city clerk's going to put another advertisement out. So um, if you want to serve on a youth commission, and, and I'm talking to an audience that's you know sort of under 18, <laughs> uh, so hopefully we have some under 18 listeners. Um, but if you're under 18 listener um, or you're the parent of, a, of an under 18 or a, a person in one of our schools um, and you think that they might want to uh, serve on our youth commission, they do lots of cool projects and assist with uh, various things around the city. Um, and I think that uh, having a a year of the pandemic, I, I suspect the members of that commission are going to be raring to go uh, when they're allowed to get back out there and start doing stuff. Um, so we would ask if, uh, like I said, if, if you're if you're the right age and listening, please uh, consider applying. If you're a parent or you know someone who's uh, has a has a kid in that age group, and uh, please pass the information along to them, and so we can uh, fill the remaining uh, few seats that are available on that commission. Uh, and then the last item uh, the council took up on the June 8th meeting was the naming of the what are going to be the Via Vera Cruz and Bent Avenue Bridges over San Marcos Creek. So those are being you know part of our uh, creek infrastructure construction project. Um, the cranes that you see in the air behind uh, Hobby Lobby and Winco are building the Bent Avenue Bridge. Um, and then, so that'll be the first one. Um, and we're hoping to have that, uh, completed and open to traffic. Um, well, we were hoping for the fall of uh, this year. It might be a little bit back because we ran into just some really, really, really hard rock there. Um, and so we've had to adjust a little bit to, to deal with that. We do know that the foundations of that bridge are going to be, uh, quite solid. I don't want to use a pun there, but uh, we know we're building it on really strong material. Um, but that set us back probably a little while. Um, so we're still hoping for the end of the year um, to have the Bent Avenue Bridge open to traffic. And I really, as soon as it's ready and open, then we'll shift over to this uh, Vivera Cruise Bridge. Um, so the recommendation that the mayor had brought forward, um, this item was asked for to be put on the agenda by the mayor um, at a previous meeting, and uh, she had... Uh, uh, requested that the council considering the naming the Via Vera Cruz, the Pia Harris Bridge. Pia Harris was the first uh, woman uh, elected to city council in San Marcos uh, and the Bent Avenue Bridge for Lionel uh, Doc Burton. Uh, uh, Doc Burton has been uh, a person who's been around the city for a long, long time. Unfortunately, um, last week, uh, Doc Burton actually passed away. So our condolences to his family uh, and everybody in San Marcos who's been here uh, a decent amount of time uh, knows about Doc Burton. Um, you know, the story was of uh, back in the day, uh, if you were, uh, he delivered all the babies in San Marcos, um, but he was just um, uh, someone who was involved in, in, in a whole host of uh, community supporting things, as was Pierre Harris. So, uh, so the council approved both uh, of those uh, recommendations to name those two bridges. So again, Via Vera Cruz Bridge will be named for Pia Harris, and uh, Bent Avenue Bridge will be named for Doc Burton. Um, so that concluded the uh, June 6th meeting, and then we had our second meeting, which was on June 22nd. Um, not a whole lot of uh, good stuff on that one, but some interesting items. Um, 
In the consent calendar, we um, recommended and the council approved a contract uh, with a company called Republic Parking to do all of our uh, administration and enforcement of, uh, of parking. Um, we have uh, as there, there's some neighborhoods in in the in town that have some issues with with parking. Um, they tend to be around the two colleges, around one around the university, one around the college. Um, and we've tried a variety of uh, um, measures or ideas to try and mitigate some of the issues in the residential areas around uh, the two campuses um, to some to good effect and some to lesser ex- effect. And we've historically. Um, retained part-time employees to do our, our parking enforcement and then done all the administrative work in-house. Um, and that's not been a model um, that's, that's you know, it comes in, that, that came and went in terms of how, how effective it would be. There's not really enough work there to um, warrant full-time employees and, um, and, you know, and you would need, you need to sort of stagger the times or you do the enforcement. And so um, it would require us to have you know, multiple full-time people, which really doesn't make enough sense, very much sense um, to, to just focus on that. And to be quite you know, transparent, it would be way, way, way too cost ineffective to have the sheriff uh, do parking enforcement as a routine item. Um, that's why big cities, you know, employ their own parking divisions. Um, it's just not worth the cost of a normal law enforcement officer um, to, to do that kind of uh, enforcement. So um, so we had engaged, uh, we put an RFP out uh, prior to the pandemic um, for uh, companies to uh, give us proposals on uh, doing this work for us and um, and then we basically put a pause on that because, quite frankly, our biggest, like I said, our biggest parking issues, not that there's some in sort of isolated areas of town, but the lion's share of it is around the campuses and when they both shut down and students weren't present and so they weren't creating parking issues within neighborhoods, um, we really didn't need to have much of a parking footprint uh, in the last year. So we've been sort of slowly ramping that up and then this contract will do that. Um, and so they'll come in and they'll do all the enforcement, all of the administration, deal with the citations, deal with the hearings, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're going to try this sort of outsourcing model and, and see how it goes. Um, and if we find it to be more efficient and effective and, and easier for the public to deal with, um, that would be a win. And then we would stay with it. Um, we also approved, uh, we had to approve the projects that we use with SB1. That was the gas tax amendment that the voters passed a few years ago. Um, that was in 2017. Um, and so we have to list uh, the projects that we use those funds for. Uh, we use that for our annual surface seal project. Uh, we approved um, the final, what they call condominium map, subdivision map for um, the Mission Villas project, which is actually sort of right across the street here from from Civic Center on Mission. It's the grading that's been going on for quite some time on that corner. It's a pretty tough site, um, but it's an extension of the Mission uh, 316 project that had happened a few years ago, a little bit farther east on Mission. Um, so just sort of extending that out to the corner. We had a couple items on uh, uh, our landscape and lighting district, so some of our special assessment districts that are annual items, and um, one thing on what's called the appropriations limit that is a state thing that makes no sense to anybody, but we're required to do it. So we do it. It doesn't mean anything. It basically says uh, we'd be allowed to appropriate up to a certain amount of money, which is always way, way more money than we generate in taxes. So it's kind of a weird relic of 
California government, but um, we have to do it, so we do it. Uh, and then we had a couple of ordinances. Uh, the first ordinance that uh, staff recommended the council uh, voted to approve was an ordinance to establish procedures for creating pre-qualified contractor lists uh, and also establishing grounds for the debarment of contractors. And so the first half of that, um, it can be very useful to cities um, to create these sort of pre-qualified lists so that um, we have a list of contractors available to us when we want to put projects out to bid. Um, it can help us to uh, maybe uh, – short circuit some process time, uh, especially on a project that might need a little bit of urgency. Um, and also just sort of, um, make it a little bit less cumbersome to go through the bidding process. If you create a, a the pre-qualified list in accordance with, um, our municipal code and, and, and governing law. Um, and then the second part is, uh, establishing grounds for the debarment of contractors. And that's about essentially being able to, for contractors who, um, he performed poorly in the past, um, being unable to bid on jobs for some period of time. It's usually uh, two, uh, two or three years. Um, so if there was an issue that came up on a project and, and it wasn't, and it was a problematic project and it wasn't due, it was due to the contractor's actions as opposed to unforeseen circumstances on the site. Uh, or what have you, um, we could move in. There's a, creates a process to create a debarment of, of contractors and prevent them from bidding for some amount of time. It also does contain provisions for a permanent debarment, and that's more along the lines of more serious um, uh, issues uh, that might be of either a criminal or a legal where there might be a conviction for this, that, or the other thing. And we hope we never have to deal with anybody who might be involved in that, but just in case. Um, you want to make sure that if there's uh, contractors that, that have had that experience, and it's like I said, it's never been our experience, and we certainly hope it never is, um, but if we have that experience that um, we can prevent the, uh, such a contractor from bidding on our job. Uh, under California law, you know, the lowest responsible bidder is essentially gets the job, and so um, without this kind of an ordinance, you can't create any kind of subjective judgment based on past performance on whether you want to do that, uh, um, contract. So, um, that was that item. And then the, uh, second ordinance that we, uh, presented and the council approved, uh, the council had actually asked us to bring this forward, which was a modification to the penalty provisions of our tobacco licensing ordinance. Uh, so several years ago, the city is, uh, uh, city enacted a tobacco licensing ordinance. And so this applies to, uh, businesses that are engaged in selling tobacco and it's targeted as preventing the sale of tobacco to uh, underage persons. Um, and um, the original ordinance had uh, sort of a five-step um, penalty provision. So the first violation, uh, you got a warning and your employees were required to take some training. Second violation was a 30-day uh, suspension of that ability. The third, sec third violation was 90 days. The fourth violation was a year. And then the last violation was you can never do it again. Um, and we have only had over the past few years, a couple of uh, businesses had uh, multiple violations, um, but we thought it made sense to eliminate that second step, uh, that 30-day suspension. Um, so this ordinance modifies the uh, regulations to go from a warning to a 90-day suspension. Um, and so the council um, was in favor of that change. And so um, that's what occurred. Um, the other thing that happened uh, on 
the 22nd meeting, which wasn't an action item, it was just a presentation, um, was regarding something called community choice aggregation, uh, CCA, or some people call it CCE. Um, I'm not going to try and get into the, the too much into the weeds on this because it's probably at some point will deserve sort of a podcast on its own. It's a little bit early for that now. Um, but in a nutshell, um, what, what this is, is a community choice aggregation is um, a system that California has established where a community or communities, so a community could do it on its own or it can band with other communities, can uh, create a vehicle or an entity um, or a process by which they become, they replace the local utility as the uh, procurer of the of power. So basically um, a city or a group of cities can get together and uh, put one of these plans together. You have to submit it to the California Public Utilities Commission and get their blessing. Um, and then um, that ent entity would start to buy the power that is serving its residents. Uh, the utility would continue to do all of the um, transmitting of that power, distribution of that power, and the billing uh, for that power. It simply would be the purchase of the power. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why uh, this exists. Um, one reason is I won't put them in order of priority because um, I think different people have different views and I try not to, to get into a place on the podcast that's too judgmental or opinionated. Um, but one of the issues certainly is that um, a lot of the utilities uh, and, and SDG in particular are actively trying to get out of the uh, power procurement business. Um, they've made it clear that that's their goal. Um, there was, they need to get legislative um approval for that in Sacramento for that to happen. Um, and there has to be a, a plan put in place, um, for what, for cities that don't enter into, um, another alternative that they continue to get power. So there's, there's, uh, the bit of, of how to, um, how they get out of that business and then what to do with cities. And I would suspect this will be mostly in the rural areas. Cause I don't know that those cities, you know, smaller cities with really small staffs, um, will have necessarily the wherewithal to, to, to do these kinds of things. Um, and, and so, uh, so that's certainly one of the issues because obviously if, if SDG &E is not in that business anymore, um, then somebody has to be. Um, and so whether you think that's a good idea or a bad idea, somebody has to be in the position of, of buying the power. And if you're not in sort of a creation of your own, you're going to be left to whatever the last resort is, which would be probably likely to be some kind of state overseen effort, um, which may turn out to be fine, but may also not be that great. So that remains to be seen. The other, another reason why cities are looking at it is we've all, um, cities of a certain size have all been required to adopt uh, climate action plans um, with specific targets of metric tons of greenhouse gases that they have to uh, come up with ways to uh, reduce um, to get back to a certain level. Um, and there's, uh, and San Marcos is certainly required to do that. And we have, and the council approved it earlier this year. Um, and one of the measures is the reduction is, is a larger portion of our electricity coming into the use, you know, to the, to the city in terms of powering residences and businesses be a, a larger mix of, uh, renewable power. Um, and so SDG and E and the other utilities have certain requirements put on them by the state to get to certain levels of their portfolio being renewable. I think uh, it's 
65 percent by 2035 i might not have that exactly right but i think that's right um that they would have that they would have to demonstrate that that's how much of their power is coming from renewable sources um the challenge i think for a lot of cities is that the window of their climate action plans was prior to 2035 ours is 2030 they were they're nine-year plans. Um, and in order to get to your greenhouse gas reduction goal, um, you had to find ways to do it. And, and our goal was, I think it was 80-some thousand metric tons. And uh, this item of getting our electricity to 95% renewable um, made up of more than a third of that reduction. So this is like um, a key element in getting being having your climate action plan actually be implemented. And so um, cities look at CCA as a way to, then they can have more control of the power they're buying. Um, and, um, and then they can figure out how to bring purchase power, more of that renewable power and bring it into, uh, into the city. Um, you know, it's a little tricky because you may be buying power from a renewable facility, whether it's a solar farm or a wind farm or some other renewable source that's not necessarily close to you. Um, so it's not as if the electrons from those particular installations actually show up uh, in your residence or your businesses, um, but you um, at least can demonstrate that that's the power you're buying. Um, and so that's why a lot of cities are, are looking at this. Um, there are two existing ones in San Diego County, one led by the city of San Diego that has uh, Chula Vista, Encinitas, uh, I think maybe National City in it, um, and then another one led by the city of Carlsbad. It has obviously Carlsbad, uh, Solana Beach, and Del Mar. Uh, the city of Solana Beach actually did one first. Um, they did one by themselves, I don't know, four or five years ago, um, and I think that um, there were just challenges given their size um, and the amount of power they were buying um, that probably didn't or just weren't the right economies of scale. And so I think, you know, that's why I think they decided that it was better. They were better to get into a sort of a larger group. And so they've uh, joined into the Carlsbad led effort. Um, So the city of San Marcos, Escondido and Vista pre pandemic, I would say mid to 2019, were looking at this issue. Uh, that's when legislation was sort of circulating in Sacramento regarding SDG and E getting out of the business. Uh, so we engaged a consultant to look at the feasibility from an economic perspective. Um, and um, then we suspended that work as the pandemic got going. And then we, as sort of things started to improve that way, we went back out to that uh, consultant and had them finish the work. Um, so now they made presentations to um all three of the city councils now. Um, so you can go on our website if you want to watch the video. It's the early part of the meeting, so uh, you don't have to sit through any other stuff. It's sort of right after the roll call. We get into that item. Um, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting subject. Um, the upshot of the consultant's view was that um, it is economically feasible for uh, the, either the three cities to do it as a joint effort or the city to do it by itself. I'm not really inclined, um, as I said at the council meeting, to recommend that we would go it alone. Uh, I do think that eventually the economies of scale and the power buying business are going to favor uh, those larger buyers. Um, And so being a smaller buyer among a bunch of larger buyers is probably not the best place to be um, because it is a commodity and um, prices fluctuate. And so um, you need to try and you know, be smart about how you do it. Um, and, you know, you can certainly have the uh, greenhouse gas uh, impacts 
um, but you also want to do it in a way that is sustainable, that people um, opt into the program and they don't opt out because it gets too expensive. Um, so at this point in time, it appears to be um, financially feasible. Uh, the other option available to the city is to join an existing uh, CCA. So that, like I said, there's two other in San Diego County. Um, there's also some in Orange County and other places. Um, you don't necessarily have to, you know, um, join one where you're in, in your very, you're, you're in your area. Um, um, it's probably will make more sense to look at ones that are in, served by the same utility um, because there's some process about uncoupling on the procurement side from, from the utility. And so if you have to do the uncoupling with two, it's a little bit probably more cumbersome than one. Um, but um, like I said, you're, you're in the market for power uh, and um, it's, it's obvious that there's not enough renewable power being made in San Diego County to serve all the cities uh, with their goal, climate action goals. So you're going to be in the power market on a much wider scale than just your local area. Um, and then the CCA also, um, theoretically, um, and it's, you know, it's something that um, if we go down this path um, that we would want to look at, it can also generate its own power. Um, so how you do that, how you figure out a way to do that um, is, um, you know, it would be something to be determined. Um, and there's a lot of capital investment for that and, and how you, not just how you build something, but how you get that into the grid and all that kind of stuff. So lots of details. So this was very 30,000 feet looking at it from a economic feasibility standpoint. Um, all three cities now having received the presentation, uh, the staffs will go back and work together to start to hone in on, um, a more co- um, so so sound almost said coherent, and that would be the wrong word, but a more uh, focused uh, recommendation on what we think the best way to go is, um, and uh, you know whether that's um, like I said, forming a new one with some partners or joining an existing one. Those seem to be the two most likely. Um, we'll see what the other cities think, and if there's any other cities uh, out there that um, might want to have those conversations with us as a group. I know that um, there's, you know, like I listed the cities that are in one, but that still leaves about half the cities plus the county that aren't. Um, so there's lots of opportunity for conversation there. So very complicated subject. Um, it's, um, it's, you know, I'd like to, I think, I think it's more complicated than it's often presented as. Um, and, um, you're getting, you know, it's government getting into a business that it's typically not been in. Um, and so there's a, there's a, there's a steep learning curve and you don't want to, um, make mistakes in a steep learning curve and cost people money. Um, because eventually, um, you know, the rate payers are the ones that are on the hook for the power that you buy. Um, and if you'd make any missteps along the way, or you don't time it properly, um, then, you know, that can, that can be an issue. There was a, CCA, the first one in California to actually go bankrupt, um, was up in Riverside County recent, very recently. And it's, you know, it's kind of an unfortunate situation that they got up and running just before the pandemic started. Um, and so there were issues about, you know, the governor's orders not allowing uh, people who couldn't pay. Obviously, you can't turn the power off. And so if you're, you know, you're when you start something up like this, you're you're capitalized the least in the beginning. And if you run into that kind of a situation, um, that's really hurtful. And then coupled with that, there was that sort of prolonged heat wave towards the end of last summer, which really drove the price of power up. Um, and if they didn't, if you don't have a long-term 
contracts in place where contracts at least take you through those periods of time when power gets very expensive in the summer here. Um, that can really affect the bottom line. So, so you got to be careful. You got to be thoughtful. Um, um, but I think that, uh, you know, this was an important first step, foundational step uh, for the council um, to hear um, sort of the more technical aspects of it. Um, and so we'll be bringing forth some recommendations. But like I said, it's an interesting subject. Um, there's quite a few of these up and down the state, mostly along the coast. Um, and, um, ranging probably almost from top to bottom in California. So, um, it's, it's probably the direction, uh, we're going and, um, you know, with the utilities exiting the procurement, um, industry, um, and staying only in the transmission industry for all intents and purposes and then the administrative part of it, um, you know, uh, it makes sense to have some control of your destiny. Um, so that's where that's at. Um, and there's a lot more to come on that. And like I said, I think that when we get, um, closer to a, a recommendation point and then a decision point, we'll probably do a podcast, um, on that subject, um, particularly cause it, you know, it's, it's hard to just do it in a, in a, in a 10 or a 15 minute discussion. Um, but anyway, so that's the story of June. Um, pretty good month for us. Um, and then we all had some fun today. Um, I'm recording this on on Tuesday the 29th. Um, one of the items that will be coming with our uh, American uh, Rescue Plan Act funds is to provide some funding to the Boys and Girls Club to build out some tenant improvement space at uh, on Autumn Drive at the West Lake uh, Affordable Housing um, project. And um, so we sort of had the kickoff of that effort uh, this after or this morning. So that was very nice. Um, so it got some media coverage. So if you uh, are do more than uh, just do podcasts, you can check out um, some of the local television um, station. One of the local television stations was there. I don't want to say which one because I don't want to plug one over the other. Um, but uh, you can uh, search through and, and, and find uh, some some information about that. It was a really nice event. It was kind of a first uh, event in the post-pandemic world sort of, of celebrating a project like that. So uh, I think it's going to be, that's going to be a really great project, um, providing the Boys and Girls Club with another facility in their neighborhood, in that neighborhood over there, that Richmond neighborhood, um, to really provide and expand their services to, to the kids they serve, which is obviously uh, a great thing for, for us to be a partner with them on. So uh, we were happy to do that. And um, well, July will probably be a little slower month. It usually typically is. And then I expect actually August um, uh, will likely be dark. Um, we usually go dark one month in the summer. Um, so activity on the council level will probably slow down a bit um, now that we've gotten past the June rush of the budget and all that stuff. So with that, I uh, appreciate you listening. If you subscribe, thanks very much for doing that. Um, please pass along the world word that we're doing a podcast. And um um, and ask folks to give it a listen. And uh, with that, look forward to uh, furthering conversation about San Marcos down the road. Thanks.